Hi everyone, John Pagetta here with PT Services Group. Hope you're doing well. And welcome to another episode of PT Buzz. And today is the second episode in our series of episodes with Barracuda MSP. And it's a conversation with Brian Babineau, who is their senior VP and general manager. And it's a dialogue around how specifically in the security space, MSPs can succeed in the next 18 months. And we take a look back, as you can imagine, at the last 18 months and dealing with the COVID reality and the different roles employees have in terms of where they work from. So the hybrid aspect, fully working from home or third party spaces or partial in the office realities. So it's a, it's a great conversation around things to consider, very specific topics to look at over the next 18 months, dealing with cyber attacks, how to best detect and respond and prevent to the best of your ability, but keeping that mentality of when, not if, they just are gonna happen. And so the best approaches for MSPs and working with their clientele to manage them. So thank you again, as always, for joining us and enjoy today's episode. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm well, John. Thank you again uh, for having us and uh, really appreciate the hospitality. Yeah, of course, of course. So um, rather than me try and stumble through your background and what you do, could you give everybody listening in a a sense of who you are and then specifically what you do at Barracuda? Sure. Uh, So I am the Senior Vice President General Manager of Barracuda MSP, which is a dedicated division of selling uh, cybersecurity solutions to managed service providers. Uh, I've been with Barracuda uh, just over, uh, I believe, seven years. Um, sometimes being in tech is like dog years, so you lose count uh, or you do some sort of multiplication uh, and held various roles within the organization. And prior to that, uh, I was uh, on the corporate development side for an organization called NetUp and born, raised uh, outside of Boston. So I have an affinity towards Boston sports fans, but uh, I did have uh, the luxury of living in the Bay Area for 10 years. uh, so that was a quick stop. I don't know if that counts as a quick stop in between my uh, born and raised in the New England area and returned to the New England area because I couldn't get enough of the weather. <laughs> no, I get it. You don't hold much of a New England accent, I'll tell you that. You know, uh, when you when you head to school or you go out in the real world and people uh, tend to point it out to you and that's the only thing they recognize you for, you autocorrect fairly quickly. Sure. So um, uh, it can uh, it can shine through at a Dunkin' Donuts or after a cocktail or two, where uh, the Boston accent can will uh, will manifest itself. But I've done a pretty good job of uh, trying to navigate my way uh, <laughs> navigate my way to something that's a little bit uh, a little bit less harsh. Sure, sure. Well, being in Pittsburgh, PA, we have a little bit of a, a love-hate with your neck of the woods and Tom Brady. And I know he's moved on, obviously, but uh, he was certainly the, uh, the the Roethlisberger nemesis for many, many moons. So He was. My son's name is Brady. Uh, and we got, I can't say he's named after him, but uh, we got the idea. We needed a B name. So he was actually born in the Bay Area, but we needed a B name and uh, Tom Brady's from the Bay Area. So it it came to us pretty quickly. Tied together together well. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, it it wasn't going to make sense to name my daughter Gronkowski uh, or anything like this such. So we uh, we decided to veer away from that pretty fast. And I don't know any Roethlisberger's that, but I'm sure there's plenty of Ben's in it. Plenty of Ben's. Plenty Plenty of Ben's. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. 
So when it, when it comes to security and keys for MSPs, what, what we want to have the conversation around, Brian, is how to finish out the year strong and then looking into 2022 going in really in good shape, not just for what's happening in the now, but but the the forward thinking side of things. And one of the things that always comes up here at PT is just the the struggle with managing at the at the speed of change. And we talk about it in a lot of different ways. And there's the reality of the behavior itself. And then there's also the emotional coping side. And one of the things we, we've tied it to recently is, is a new book by Malcolm Gladwell. And he talks about the Air Force and how in the, in the 30s, they weren't really even the Air Force. They were part of the Army. But one of the things he talks about is they had a motto. And the motto was, real progress is made when unhindered by custom. Mm-hmm. And the takeaway for us was really, it's just hard to change when you bring, it's not always baggage, but you bring your history with you. And it tends to steer you in certain directions. You make assumptions off of it at times. And I was, I was thinking a little bit about PT, where prior to COVID, we had maybe maybe one or two people that would work a handful of days a year from home. And, and now we have a full at-home workforce. Um, mm-hmm. When you think about some of the change we've seen in the last 18 months and, and the, the struggles that are happening, what, what would you think about as far as MSPs, their deliverables, how they've shifted, what they need to think about going forward, um, and how things are developing when they apply their services? It's a very interesting reference to Gladwell. I tend to spend a little bit more of my own personal time as a World War II reader and uh, Eisenhower and some of the things that he went through and, and Roosevelt and Churchill's communications and the persuasiveness of uh, getting involved in that and uh, in, in, uh, in that skirmish that turned into uh, turned into the Second World War. Uh, when I apply uh, change to MSPs, uh, I tend to think about uh, what I would, how I would answer the question 12, 15 months ago, which was MSPs better change uh, real quickly or their clients and themselves will go out of business. And now I would fast forward and say MSPs did something that they're not notorious for, which is the ability to be agile and change because they brought, in my opinion, they brought many small businesses through a very tumultuous time, innovated as many of their clients uh, and themselves worked from very different locations, couldn't travel as much, uh, had to deal with the remote workforce, had to deal with you know, cloud enablement and app enablement and mobile enablement and mobile payment enablement. So I think if I'm an MSP sitting here today and I looked back and I said, boy, I can do this. I've done it before. I did it 15 months ago or whatever the time frame you want to choose is. Uh, and what they re- what they probably need to realize is that they're going to have to do it again uh, and they're going to have to sustain change. And, uh, you know, those that made it through now are trying to figure out how they stay on top of the technology world and the cybersecurity threats that uh, are posed to it. And, uh, will welcome and embrace that change as a way to differentiate themselves and to make you know, and to make money and more importantly make their clients safe and successful. Yeah, so, so let's talk through a little bit of of some of the things you you noted there, and, and the obvious one is what everybody's front and center with, which is the reality of a remote workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and many are now in sort of that hybrid role, where maybe they're spending two three days in the office again, two three at home, et cetera. What are some of the biggest challenges there when it comes to the security side? So 
uh, one thing that we look at is okay, you have a let's forget about what we call it. it it's a distributed workforce that always is in the same location. Yep. Uh, this isn't necessarily a new concept. Uh, the overhang of security and the security risk is more of the oppressive concept that we have to deal with. Um, what you're talking about a distributed workforce and that security overhang uh, are things like bring your own device trends. So if you cannot get a computer to a new employee, they have to bring their own. How do you, uh, how do you configure that and manage that uh, even though it wasn't a corporate issued or company issued device? And there can be some security challenges with that. So it's almost like moving to a zero trust model where uh, employees, no matter where they are, can have the option to bring their own phone, bring their own laptop, bring their own iPad so they can be productive. And I would say the second thing, and it's supported by survey, you know, research data that we had heading into, um, you know, the, the, uh, the throes of, of the pandemic here, which is where do you, uh, where do you access network resources? So, uh, you know, we're used to having employees VPN. From an airport right that's not a new concept but when they're bringing their own device they're probably accessing uh, a network over a home wi-fi uh, that is probably not as secure as a corporate wi-fi it's not as secure as a you know a vpn connection and you can start to enforce corporate policies to an extent all the way down to a distributed network or a home wi-fi but that's where the risk is. I think, you know, almost two thirds of our survey respondents, um, you know, really highlighted the fact that the home network or a public Wi-Fi connection is really a concern because that's where, you know, if somebody's on your computer and then they want to get access to corporate resources or they want to, you know, get into the HR system, whatever the case may be, is they can start right at the beginning, which is how do you connect to the Internet? Yeah, what's interesting in terms of what you're describing there, I, I always try and put my my own situation into play to some degree. So at home, I'm, my wife is there running her own business, and then I also have four kids, and my four kids are bringing friends through, and we occasionally have people over, and Lord knows how many people are walking around with access to my Wi-Fi in some way, shape, or form, and uh, it's just different. And then I go to a Starbucks, and I go in, I go in at the office itself. There's lots of places we can do that. And the risk is vast, especially as you mentioned, the, the bringing your own device. So I've got my phone, my iPad, and then my company issued computer. And uh, so a lot, of, a lot of examples in there where the risk can come into play. And I'd like yeah, you sure. It got orders of magnitude worse because of the security threat that existed. Yep. Uh, or that started to build up, right? Uh, you can go through the reasons why that security risk exists, but... Nobody was concerned about a personal hotspot per se. I'm <laughs> sure IT were worried about it. Nobody, and then they, you know, people were for BYOD or not BYOD, um, you know, but they certainly weren't for uh, bring your own device, have an open public home Wi Fi network, having other people connect to that, set up hotspots, and then people start accessing a VPN or non VPN um, to corporate, that, you know, resource. They weren't. That wasn't part of the IT security playbook uh, originally, and it's certainly not one that's recommended given the threat environment that we operate in. 
Sure. And as, you, as you're describing it, you take a company of 100 people who used to go in through one network, and now you've got 101 networks. And it, it, it compounds the, the struggle and the difficulty of some of those things. So um, one of the things you mentioned, too, and you mentioned to me prior is, is the, the cloud side of things. And our company's moving faster, better. What are some of the security risks? I know what our situation looks like, but there's also a, a cost differential that comes into play. Talk a little bit about the, the increased activity on the cloud side and some of the challenges when it comes to security. Look, I don't. I think bottom line is our SM, you know, small and mid-sized business economy doesn't survive and ultimately thrive if we don't have cloud-based computing resources over the last 15 to 18 months. Uh, whether it be email, whether it be uh, app development so that you could put your menu online or buy into an app that allowed you to put your, you know, your restaurant menu online or to connect into a food delivery service. So the, um, or onboard employees without ever meeting them. So cloud computing certainly afforded us the ability to scale, uh, you know, scale while we weren't all physically located together. However, with that, uh, there's great responsibility because those devices that are accessing those cloud resources have to be secure. Um, the resources, no matter where they're sitting, uh, whether you're using an app that's running on some cloud or whether you're using the cloud compute to build your own, uh, those are, uh, those have to be protected and you know, have to make sure that not everybody has access to your own app development, you know, instance, uh, wherever you might be building it. So. There's a, a different perimeter, if you will, of network security that has to be contemplated when individuals have access to their own devices and then they're accessing resources that are not fortified by four walls. They are essentially scaling at the speed of your business inside somebody else's four walls and you're just tend to either renting them or, you know, uh, or utilizing them to, uh, to grow. Uh, so. You know, all of our research indicates, you know, the use of public cloud is the catalyst for businesses to expand and to get online faster and to take advantage of the opportunities. Um, but I always give the example of, you know, I'm a pizza fan uh, and, my, you know, I didn't have pizza for three months. The restaurant was figuring it out. Then it bought into an app that allowed me to look at a menu and order online and I could then have it delivered by a food service company or by the restaurant itself. Um, and then I could go pick it up, you know. So it was buying into an app. It had different employees cooking, right? It went through a three-month pause. So how did that company go from you have to show up and order and take it out yourself, or maybe you had to call and order and have somebody that had worked for the company whose background had been cleared to... I click an app, I had two buttons, it's got my PayPal account uh, or my Venmo account or whatever the case may be is, and uh, somebody is delivering it that doesn't even work for that. Yep. Uh, all of that didn't connect because there was 14 meetings at conferences. All of that got connected because there's some compute resources available to them and an app developed, you know, an app that was connected to. Um, a lot of private information changing hands, employees coming and going, third-party services sharing information. 
uh, all of that creates a security risk, whether it be at the web app side, whether it be at the network side, whether it be at the endpoint side, you never, you don't know. But that's a simple example of something that I enjoy. And it was great to see them survive. But how they do it and what information they have on me, I'm still trying to, fig- I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. And how well it's protected along the way. So, Correct. Yeah. yeah there's a driver with my PayPal account somewhere. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the volume of places we've entered credit card numbers and various things like that over yeah. the last 18 months has increased 20-fold, right. no doubt. Yeah. And obviously that that leads us to the people that want that information. And we think about them as cyber criminals. Um, as somebody last month when we were talking about ransomware mentioned sort of bad actors. Um, and talk a little bit about the information that they're trying to get to, how they sometimes use it, and just the reality of, of a constant need to protect. We we all hear about the big ones. We uh, the, the most recent one I remember hearing about was T-Mobile, and they talked about so many millions of passwords and usernames and social security numbers. All that information was garnered, but it certainly happens on a smaller scale too. Yeah, I think the. Uh the bad actors, criminals uh, tend uh, to cast wide nets to try to get as much information as possible so they can continue their investigations towards a treasure of, you know, or, of money. Um, you know, your and I's credentials might not be worth that much money um, in and of themselves, but what we might have access to inside of our company could lead them to bank accounts or to expense, you know, expense report systems where there is money or there is a balance sheet. Um, or if you're an individual consumer, you may, you know, you may end up with somebody's credentials so that you can find your way into unserialized cryptocurrency that if you get access to that, now you're paying for other things and you find yourself into a very different economy. So, I think there's plenty of money uh, that's untraceable money and uh, a lot of roads lead to it. Um, and it's where the big money is at, right? So you cast a wide net and the information individual, individual information isn't, you know, can be valuable in and of itself, but it usually is trying to help somebody on a trail to a bigger treasure. Um, um, and it's usually real dollars or crypto. Um, which is, um, you know, in my, you know, you're getting an opinion, but we have unserialized money in large, in, in large quantities sitting around the globe that's not necessarily traceable by governments. You get, you get a lot of people trying to go after it. Yeah, it really changes the, changes the game, so to speak. So. Correct. So we all feel it, you know, we all feel awful if, some, if somebody compromises something on our desktop or a laptop. And that may lead to something bad, but it also may just be a, you know, part of a compass in a picture that that somebody's trying to put together for a broader outcome. Sure, sure. All right. When you when you think maybe about the balance, I mean, <laughs> the joke inside of PT, oftentimes we're talking about something that's ninety or one hundred and twenty days out, and the reaction is always, "It'll be here before you know it." Mm-hmm. Um, we're almost to the end of the year, but but how MSPs. Um, want to look at the end of the year and going into 2022, what, what are the top recommendations or two when it comes to the security side that you think they really need to be paying attention to and adjusting for? Look, bad people follow the money. Good people should follow the bad people and they'll find money too. Right. That's how I would put it. 
is if uh, if you're not building a security practice that you can make profitable uh, and delivers IT safely, I think you're missing out on a major market trend that will set you up not only for the end of the year, but for the next few years to come. And it's not just about how do I keep things safe, but how do I constantly respond to people who think something bad's happened? Uh, but I investigate it thoroughly to ensure that it didn't or did, and I take the right actions. There's too many government laws and notifications and other things um, that have to be followed through, insurance policies that have to be completely investigated if you want to pay out. Uh, so I think MSPs, if they haven't started pivoting to a stack uh, and services portfolio that uh, is in the prevention, detection, and remediation uh, business for security, uh, they're going to fall further and further behind, um, you know, uh, in, in this marketplace. There's, if there was no money to be made, the bad people wouldn't be here uh, trying to disrupt the, you know, trying to disrupt business operations. And it's, I think the MSPs owe it to their small businesses uh, to repeat what they've done in the past, change, evolve, and keep them safe. Yeah. It sounds like the old Wild West commentary about why you're on a bank and it's where the money is sort of commentary. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, MSPs, MSPs, I think if they always prioritize security equals safe business, safe business equals clients grow. And that creates bit more business opportunity for me. Uh, that mindset will continue. Um, you know, we don't, the desktop and help dot desk services are going to be marginalized to an extent yep. and more of the calls and the complaints and the uh, disruptions are going to lead to security conversations. The MSPs have to be ready to have. Yeah. Well, one of the things that always jumps out at me and, and I think about it again, a little close to home is a good starting point. So we use Salesforce as our CRM. Mm-hmm. And and we have umpteen number of organizations that have um, built out their approach to supporting those people who use Salesforce as a third party vendor or a third party apl- application, et cetera. And we we use one for what we do with our um, with our drip marketing, yeah. And very specifically, so one of the things that always jumps out in these conversations is the the need to vet and choose vendors wisely and carefully and um, it can be hard to do any recommendations around that side of it and just how to go about that or things to think about when you're when you're vetting vendors and choosing who you get uh, in the sandbox with yeah you know no matter who we transact business with you know we do a vendor assessment of what kind of security practices and policies they have in place uh, and you know I would I would suggest that partners, uh, do the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're working with a large vendor, mid-sized vendor, or a small one. They should have some documentation of how they handle, you know, what their uh, privacy uh, team looks like. What are they, uh, you know, how do they handle and mitigate certain risks? Ask for that documentation because ultimately, if you're building a service on top of their solution, their documentation becomes part of your service. Whether it's a service level, again, whether it's how they do business in other countries. Um, where they don't do business. So, you know, at Barracuda, we built a trust center and we point our clients, but before they make purchases with us, we point them to the trust center so they can see 
all of that information that's available to them and that they can, you know, if they're building a service on Barracuda, they can then take that documentation and put it in front of their clients. Uh, and I think that's the, and we do the same thing. So anything that we, anything that we utilize internally, or, um, we make sure that we either visit their trust center or we get the appropriate documentation. And uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a great way to vet. Uh, has somebody thought about this? Uh, you know, has somebody thought about it? Have they documented it? And uh, will they be there for you if you have a problem, they have a problem, or one of their upstream vendors has a problem? Sure, sure. Yeah, one of, one of the things we talked about last month was you almost need to look at some of these behaviors as not if, but when, and to what degree, and how you respond because of the volume of things that are happening around you. Um, so, so when you think about cyber attacks and different behaviors that happen there, what, what are some of the things that you work with MSPs on now and going forward that you'd recommend they consider to help spot or find cyber attacks, prevent them as best they can, and when they do occur, how they respond? Yeah, so you can't just secure email. You just can't secure your cloud app. You just can't secure, you know, do multi-factor authentication. You have to look at how do you have multi-layered security um, so that you can protect individuals, the devices, the data, and the applications or whatever they're doing on a daily basis. Some people go, all right, I have multi-factor authentication. I'm done. Right, Um, right. Uh, or, uh, you know, I put in email security, so I don't need anything. You know, I, I, the firewalls, you know, th- those are only good when we had a corporate data center. Uh, so we talked to our partners about first get the prevention right at the entry points that are most common because it's not if, it's when. Uh, and then uh, we made an acquisition, a company called Scout Cybersecurity that um, response is getting, you know, a lot of the prevention solutions that we go through, they create a lot of alarms. So the best, you know, this could be happening, somebody reset their password four times in a month, this OS isn't up to date. So it can create a lot of alarm and activity and MSPs just don't necessarily have the ability to run through and fix all the alarms or turn them off, or they turn all of them off and then you kind of have a pointless setup. So, (laughs) So, Having a response plan, and we made an acquisition to allow MSPs to outsource their SOC, which we handle all the alarms for them, whether we auto-remediate them or whether we call them and say, this one's real, you you got to go do some investigation, or do you want to do it with us? Uh, they have to have a, you know, have a remediation plan for how they're going to deal with the amount of activity that will come off of, you know, the multi-layered security solutions that are in place. So uh, we... The, the best analogy that I've used is if you have an alarm system at your house and you have it across your doors and your windows and maybe your garage and all these other things, um, and you walk into the house every time and you don't know which one's going off, is the carbon monoxide detector, is it a window open or is there a fire? Um, you tend to pay the extra few dollars a month to have a service that will call you and say, alarm two is going up and that's carbon monoxide. You need to open the window. Um, we MSPs have to start thinking about that. That's ever what their clients should look like. They should be getting alerts on a regular basis to make sure that none of them, and they should be able to sift through them. We've just decided to help with the sifting in the remediation, similar to that alarm service that you have in the consumer marketplace. Uh, 
If MSPs don't have that, they're just going to end up with good layered security and a lot of alerts. Yeah, and, and as you're mentioning that and, and kind of talking through the example, one of the things that I, I think about is, as MSPs apply their services and they have, we all have limited time, people, all the different things. So you decide what you want to be an expert and great at and where you want to partner with some others to, to bring everything along, sort of what you're describing there. Um, yeah, it's interesting when it goes back to that partner and that vendor uh, side of things is just a very simple example. If you have a home security system, you, you link to somebody that's going to call you like a, a ring or whoever it is that you're utilizing. And we all see the commercials of something's happening and they call and, and you know immediately, is it something I really need to put an effort into or is it something that I can laugh about and hang up the phone on it? Yeah, yeah fire alarms have gotten a lot more sophisticated, you know, over the past 15 or 20 years of what they can detect, how quickly they can detect it. Yep. Um, you're, you're not going to choose to avoid putting in a fire alarm because it might pick up a balloon, you know, a helium balloon every now and then. Right. You're going to choose to have, you're going to choose to put that in there because the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of, you know, a, a pound of a cure. What you're going to do is I would like, you know, I don't, and I don't want to disconnect it because it goes off a little too frequently. What I want is somebody to call me and tell me no fire just a blockage, go do this. This is how you handle it. Yep. And away you go, you know, get the balloons out of the way of the fire alarm and you won't have any issues. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're 24 seven, they're there and you can worry right. about other things that are more important to you in terms of your, your macro and micro behaviors. No doubt. Yeah. So. We see too many MSPs avoiding the prevention, the multi-layered security, because it adds to the level of alarms that they have to deal with. So they would rather not install the fire alarm because they don't have the manpower to deal with what comes of it. And so we just try to eliminate that barrier, which is buy as much as you can and we'll handle, uh, we'll handle the alarms and the response with you as opposed to you avoiding putting it in in the first place. Yeah, no, it's a manpower reality and, and helps them overcome that and deliver more and better engagement and services, no doubt. So, yep. well, as we, as we wind down here, Brian, is there any uh, last words of wisdom or thoughts you have going forward that you'd want to, share with the MSP world? No, I think what you're doing is a great service uh, education-wise goes to the marketplace. Uh, and uh, I would just highlight that the MSP, the MSP marketplace in general is very resilient. They've proved their resiliency and they've proved their commitment to their clients, especially over the last 15 months. And we don't want to see that wane just because, you know, secure, you know, because the security overhang can, is, continue, you know, visibly looking more oppressive, but certainly overcomable and manageable by the right set of folks uh, in the industry. So thank you for the education and keeping them keeping the market motivated. Yeah, those, those hurdles can look pretty daunting at times when you're when you're staring up at the hill, you got to climb and correct. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. Um, leaving everybody with uh, one last thought here, knowing your son is named Brady. Mm -hmm. Do you now follow the Buccaneers or do you still follow the Patriots? So I follow the players. So as long as they're not playing the Patriots, I will root for the Buccaneers, including in uh, last year's uh, Super Bowl. Uh, however, if they are playing the Patriots or I have a choice, I, the Boston roots go deeper than any individual. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I, I understand Brady comes to town this year, so you'll have a an interesting conflict of interest, at, I'm sure, at times. So. His fire alarm may go off in his hotel a little bit. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Many times, many times, yeah. your your team will call in and tell them what to do. Sure, that's exactly right. 
There we go. Right. All right, Brian. Hey, thank you so much for the time. And uh, we'll be sure to get this out to everybody and, and greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen in. Please go to the ptservicesgroup.com backslash buzz. You can see the conversation we had with Barracuda last month around ransomware. You can comment on that session, our session today with Brian. And by all means, we love the feedback. And if you have something you'd like us to talk about going forward, please let us know. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care.